Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there, From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday, and Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. As well as on Thursday, June 3rd, I'm launching my new podcast, Coast to Coast, which looks at the building of the Transcontinental Railway. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at bairdo37. Today I'm looking at the history of Winkler, Manitoba. As usual, I won't go through a chronological list of the history, but rather various aspects of the history. So let's begin. The Indigenous The land that would one day be Winkler was the traditional land of the Anishinaabe people for centuries. They would move through the area to hunt, trap, and fish, crossing over the U.S.-Canada border long before the border ever existed, and the Sioux were also in the area for centuries. One of the most important aspects of the life of the indigenous who lived in the area was the hunt for the bison, who existed in massive numbers throughout the prairies. And while the number of bison was less than was found in the west in Alberta, Saskatchewan, the animal was still incredibly important to the indigenous of the area. The bison would go on to be an important part of the culture of the Métis, who occupied the area as their culture began to grow in the 1700s and 1800s. On August 3, 1871, the Anishinaabe people of the area would sign Treaty 1 and would be pushed to reserves by the federal government. Founding of the Community Known as the West Reserve, which was set aside for Russian Mennonites, the history of Winkler begins in 1876 as the first of the Mennonites started to settle in the area. The start of Winkler comes down to one man, Valentine Winkler, whose name the community still honors, but first, we need to talk about the train. The railroad came through in the 1880s, and many older citizens in Winkler stated that the start of Winkler owes itself to a freight car that derailed. Of course, that may not be the case, but it's an interesting story nonetheless. As for Valentine Winkler, he became the first reeve of the Stanley Municipality in 1890, and he owned the land that Winkler now sits on. He had bought it from Isaac Weens, a Mennonite member who was pressured to sell by the church. Development of the land soon began in 1892, and soon lots and businesses were being sold and established. The creation of this new town site did not sit well with the people in Morden, where Winkler lived, nor in the RM of Stanley. On May 9, 1906, the community had grown enough to be incorporated as a village. At the time, it had a diverse population including English, German, and Jewish residents. And the nearby Mennonites would also start moving into the village, and by the end of the First World War, they would outnumber the rest of the town's residents. Unfortunately, the community would see a decline in its population from the early 1900s until the end of the Second World War as Jewish and German residents began to move from the community to elsewhere in Canada. Following the war, the population once again started to rebound, and on April 7, 1954, the village became a town. By the 1990s, 
the population was growing at a fast rate, and on April 7, 2002, Winkler became a city. Today, with its population of 13,000 people, it is the sixth largest city in Manitoba. As for Valentine Winkler, his story would be an interesting one. He'd be elected to the Legislative Assembly of Manitoba as a Liberal in 1892, serving until 1920 with a brief gap in 1900. He was also a cabinet minister in the government of Tobias Norris, serving as Minister of Agriculture and Immigration. And he would die in 1920 from diabetes, only two years before insulin was discovered. His son, Howard, would serve as a Member of Parliament for the Liberal Party from 1935 to 1953. The Bethel Heritage Park If you would like to explore the history of the community but want to enjoy the outdoors, then the Bethel Heritage Park is a place to visit. Known as the Central Park of Winkler, the downtown park features cairns and historic storyboards that highlight the history of the community, along with a fountain, live theater in the summer, and concerts in the park. The park is located where the Winkler Hospital once stood for decades, but the park itself is relatively new, coming along in 2010 to fill the need for a central park location for the community. Today, the park serves as a symbol of the strength of the Winkler citizens and the many gates they traveled through to settle there. The Fire Hall Museum In the Winkler Fire Hall, you will not only see the people who helped keep the community safe from fires, but also the history of firefighting in the community. Outside the hall, you can find the recreation of the Winkler Bell Tower, which houses the original bell at the very top. Once inside the hall, you can explore the history of the community from its perspective of firefighters who kept it safe, and you will find pictures from the firefighting past of the community, as well as memorial pieces and historic remnants from days gone when firefighting was a matter of life and death, and the men who fought fires were the last line of defense for the community. The 1904 and 1920 Bank Robberies in rural Canada, we typically don't think too much of bank robberies. Canada never had a Wild West period as was seen in the United States, but that doesn't mean robberies didn't happen. In fact, Winkler has had two robberies in its early past. On October 24, 1904, three bankers were traveling in a buggy after the workday with $4,600 between them from the bank vault that they were taking on a business trip to another bank. As they traveled, they were surprised to find two men emerge from a culvert with sacks on their heads, and they promptly pointed guns at the bankers. One robber held the horses while the other robber told the bankers to throw the bags of cash over the side of the buggy. One banker had been on the job for 21 days, and he thought it was a joke. But when he turned to the other bankers, he saw the fear in their faces and realized it was no joke. The two robbers were caught before they could get away to the American border, and one of the robbers was John Krivchenko, who was an apprentice at a harness shop in the area and had been known to police for several years. On October 13, 1920, five individuals robbed the Union Bank of Canada and were able to get away with $19,000 total, or $236,000 today. A lot of the blame of the success of the robbery was put on Constable George Hebert, who apparently knew the robbery was progressing one hour before the robbers were able to escape. Hebert would state that he did not go out to arrest the men because his wife stated that she wanted him to stay in the house with her, likely because she was worried about his safety. Local residents urged him to go deal with the robbery, but he refused and he would later admit that he was afraid for his life. 
In contrast, William Grafer, the local blacksmith, started to ring the fire bell to alert the residents of the community, and he had heard the robbers in the bank as he lived across the street, and he would be shot by one of the robbers, but he would survive. It's believed that the robbers were from the United States, and they were able to escape back to the United States and were never caught. The robbery would be reenacted 50 years later by residents of Winkler on October 13, 1970. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms, and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. The Prime Minister Visits Several Prime Ministers have visited Winkler over the years, including Lester B. Pearson and John Diefenbaker, but the one I want to focus on is William Lyne Mackenzie King. Before I do, in regards to Diefenbaker, he visited in 1970, several years after he was Prime Minister, and he was given an honorary citizenship pin from Mayor Nick Weeb. As for King, despite his long time serving as the Prime Minister of Canada, longer than anyone else, there is little in the way of him visiting communities. Winkler was lucky enough to have him visit, but it came when he wasn't actually the Prime Minister. From 1930 to 1935, R.B. Bennett was the Prime Minister of Canada, and King was the leader of the opposition. He would come back into power in 1935, but at least for now, he was just a major political figure. On July 22, 1933, King came to the community of Winkler, where he was given a huge reception from the mayor, a former mayor, Reverend Walkerton, and others and he would also visit the elementary school and meet with several children as well. The Tornado of 1933 Tornadoes are not a rare occurrence in Manitoba, with roughly 10 to 20 appearing every year, and it's also the place where the only confirmed F5 has ever struck Canada. Winkler would see one of its worst tornadoes on May 23, 1933, when the tornado struck west of the community and moved along the outskirts of the town. While the tornado was not destructive directly to the community, the amount of rain that fell would cause immense flooding in Winkler. The old-timers in the community stated that it was the worst flooding they could remember, and while the tornado struck late in the day on May 23rd, by May 24th the entire town was flooded. Throughout southern Manitoba, rain fell in buckets from the storm, with several inches reported in various communities around Winkler. Winkler and Morden would report 5.78 inches falling, which is roughly 146 millimeters of rain. 
Several large stretches of road and the CPR railway were also destroyed. The Flood of 1966 One of the worst floods to hit the Winkler area would occur in March of 1966 when flood waters quickly rose, leading to the evacuation of several residents. On the main street of Winkler, the water was up to three feet deep, with varying depths across two-thirds of the town. As a result of the flooding, 25 families were evacuated from the community as their homes were surrounded by water. Fire sirens began to blare at 1 a.m. after the runoff waters began to reach the community, coming from the Red River that was 40 kilometers away. The cooperative cannery, a major employer in the community, reported having one foot of water above its floor level. Mayor John Epp would say that there was no way of knowing how high the damage was, but, quote, it is certain to be very high, end quote. He would also add, quote, the whole town is surrounded, end quote. Ditches and creeks were filled with heavy snow in early March, which forced the water across the fields into town as a result. And as can be expected, many basements and stores were flooded throughout Winkler. The Heritage Museum The Winkler Heritage Museum is a great place to spend the day and learn about the history of the community through artifacts and displays. The museum features early photographs, children's toys, quilts, furniture, musical instruments, and much more. A farm kitchen display has been created to showcase the hand-driven appliances that were used in the 1930s, while the clinic display showcases the medical history of Winkler. In one corner of the museum, you will find old school desks, a blackboard, and models of several original schools in the area, as well there are old school books. It's a great glimpse into the school life many students enjoyed during the early years of the 20th century. The 1961 Fire One of the most devastating fires to hit the community of Winkler came in March of 1961 when a fire destroyed a large portion of the community's main businesses. The fire had raced through the community thanks to high winds that allowed it to burn through 300 feet of businesses. Two grocery stores, a restaurant, a furniture store, and a bookstore were among the buildings to go up in flames. A meat market that had been occupied only one week previous to the fire was also damaged by the flames. Firemen did what they could to fight the fire, but the water mains gave out in the community and the pressure dropped severely impacting the ability to fight the flames. By the end of the fire, with eight buildings burned to the ground, damage estimates were put at $800,000 or $7.1 million today. The Pomeroy School in the Reimer Mennonite Log House Outside of Winkler, you will find an original school from the early days of schooling in Manitoba. Built in 1909 and originally called Newton School and then renamed as Pomeroy School in 1950, it is one of the few remaining one-room schools in the province. Located at the Pembina Thresheman's Museum between Morden and Winkler, it is one of seven other historic buildings from the area that are located there. Today, only 100 one-room schools still stand in Manitoba, where once there was over a thousand, and most of those that remain have been turned into sheds, granaries, and more. Thankfully, Pomeroy School has not and can still be visited. The Pomeroy School still contains its cloakroom, the teacher's storage room, built-in bookcases and blackboards. Due to its historic nature, it was made a municipal heritage site in 2009. 
Also located at the Thresherman's Museum, you will find the Reimer Mennonite Log House, a one-story with attic log house that was relocated to the museum in 1980 to preserve it. The house was originally built in 1878, and today serves as an example of the Mennonite house barn, although the barn portion did not survive the late pioneer period. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at Winkler, Manitoba. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W, Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randa McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rowa, Luke S., JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash Canadian History X. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.